0: Hey, everybody. This is Jeffrey Lyles. You're listening to Lyles Movie Files. It's Thursday, April 26th. I'm very excited to see what my Niners are going to do in this NFL draft. And everybody is getting hyped up, excited, ready to see the biggest film of the year. Of course, I'm talking about Avengers Infinity War. Jason and I got to see it early. We did a brief spoiler-free version of it what we thought of the film next week after all the guys see it we will probably go all into the weeds with a million spoilers so if you want to hear our thoughts about it without any spoilers because i cannot spoil this film for you and i want you to see it as clean and with as little information and knowledge of what's going to happen as possible. And we also talk about how much we think the movie's going to make. Black Panther set all kinds of records. And we just started guessing what we thought it was going to make opening weekend. Also, Jason, and I break down a viewing order of which you need to see, which Marvel Studio films you want to see or need to see before you go in to watch Infinity War. Now, this is kind of a rare case for Marvel Studios where the release order of their 19 films doesn't quite uh, lead to the best cohesive picture. So basically Black Panther is not going to be the film that you want to watch right before you see Infinity War. There are a couple of films you want to see earlier and we're gonna break that down for you. And because Marvel is not just about the Avengers, I have on Brian Cronin, the author of 100 Things X-Men Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Brian and I talk about our favorite things x-men our favorite writers our favorite teams favorite characters we both have one that i think will surprise a lot of people and uh and he was just a fun guest and we talked about x-men and you know x-men just, they don't get any love now everybody's all about avengers even the, the guardians so this was fun to talk about this cool book and all these interesting facts and what's so interesting and unique about the x-men i'll have a link on the site so you can actually order the book from amazon but uh i'm just going to lead into that interview first and then you'll hear jace gunner javon chief and i talk about uh, avengers infinity war and we'll have the full-fledged uh full show uh, later on this week thank you as always for listening see you on the other side uh, how long are we working on this project and, and what got you inspired to, to write a book for people who think they know everything about the X-Men, but actually don't?
1: I mean, I guess about uh, a good chunk of last year uh, was on the, on the book. And I mean, I've been a big uh, X-Men guy for years. Uh, back when CBR, you know, I, I've been writing for CBR for years. And one of the first things I did at CBR was on their message boards. I was their moderator for the X-Men board. So, <laughs> so that's one of the very first things I did was moderate. I moderated all the little X Men discussions. So it's so funny how much of that you come back to when you're writing the book. You're like, oh right, that was a big old debate for back in O two.
0: Yeah, now I was. I guess my the era I started reading X Men was right right before the Outback era, so Mutant Massacre at that time. But they started releasing the classic X Men, and I really became fascinated with the whole um, giant size new X Men team. That's like my favorite squad of X Men. And you you mentioned something in here that I did not know about how Kurt Busiek uh, set up X Factor or helped a very important cog for X-Factor. How did you go about finding out those little tidbits, especially now in the Internet age where it seems like people could find this information code so quickly? How did you go about tracking down this kind of stuff?
1: Well, what's funny about it is that since I've been writing about these things for so long, a lot of the book, honestly, a lot of the book is stuff I had already written about that I, I you sort of, it's sort of basically taken all the information that you've, collected over the years and sort of putting it into it's it's more about it's less about trying to find the information at this point for me and more about putting it into a form where people can appreciate and understand it and relate to it you know
0: yeah who's your favorite x-man
1: well my uh well let's see I guess it's hard to beat when you go to the classics it's really hard to beat guys like Wolverine when the guy just became such an awesome character over the years Mm-hmm. My personal, I guess, what I put it more as less as my quote-unquote favorite X Men, and more as the guy that I like that no one else likes has always been Banshee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you, Banshee. You, you were Banshee
1: so... never gets Banshee never gets. You know that guy just. It, you know he just loses his powers. They get they put together two teams of X Men and somehow we, it, it, like every team has like seven guys on him. Somehow he's the only one that doesn't get it on the team.
0: Yeah. You're you're screaming my language because I have long since championed that Banshee is one of the cooler X-Men characters. I just like the whole deal with him having Cassidy keep and having his rivalry with Black Tom and and how he's the one X-Men that gets shafted right before the greatest X-Men story of all time. It's like, Oh geez, you have to leave, leave the team right, right before Dark Phoenix starts. But yeah, I'm, and I like the whole costume with the wings. So I'm right there with you. So that's cool to hear.
1: But as a Banshee fan, though, and this is, though, I, 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 I might have mentioned the book, I, I, I know I bring up a lot, is the idea that if you are a Banshee fan, it gets to the point where you almost don't want him showing up at stories. Right. Because <laughs> if you're a fan of a lesser X-Men character, you know any time they show up, that it's probably going be to be killed off.
0: Exactly, especially Banshee.
1: And, yeah, and Banshee, it's funny. yeah. And sure enough, uh, back in the 20, when they had the anniversary, the 30th anniversary of the, um, the all-new, all-different X-Men,
2: mm-hmm.
0: sure
1: enough, they killed Banshee off.
0: Yeah, and it's like, come on, guys. Let, let's keep Banshee around in his cool outfit. What are, now, so we've covered your favorites. Who are the characters that even after writing, after going through all these years of learning about a character whatever, who are like two characters that you just cannot appreciate under any circumstance and just hate them whenever they appear?
1: I don't think X-Men-wise, I think they've they've done a pretty good job on the stuff. That, the guys that you wouldn't, let's say, like that much, they also don't appear that much. So in general, like for instance, let's say you didn't like Maggot, the short-lived mm-hmm. team member where from the late 90s where his whole thing was he had two leeches that would come out and absorb energy mm-hmm. and then he would suck them back into his stomach and they would give him powers. That's not the greatest uh, uh, X-Men out there. But he only appeared in like three issues, so it's hard to really get too mad at him. So of the guys who have been around for a while, Mm -hmm. one of the guys that sort of gets me is, I don't not that I dislike him, but Angel totally messes up the all-new, all-different team in Dark Phoenix Saga. When you look at that setup, you're like, yeah, this is the classic X-Men. You got your Wolverine, your Cyclops, your Storm. Your nightcrawler, your colossus, your kitty pride. Oh, and angels there too. So that so that so that always got that always gets me. And, and sure enough, you can tell that they were thinking the same thing because after just like five or six issues, he's like, "Yeah, I'm out <laughs> of here. You suck, Wolverine. I'm out of here. You're the worst, Wolverine. I'm out of here."
0: <laughs> what was the the one thing that you? What, what's a Maybe not the first thing, but what are some things that as people read the book, you hope that they get out of this and, and take away just reading into Sexman fans?
1: Well, I, I like to think uh, one thing, especially the way it's set up where the quote unquote most the most important, usually in theory, it's the most important to the least important in um, mm-hmm. topic wise. After that's really that's really more strict for the first, I like, say 30. Mm-hmm. After that, is it more of a general thing? So it doesn't mean like if some guy's at 50, it doesn't really mean that he's necessarily more important than a dude at 60. Mm -hmm. But for the first 30 or so, I try to get pretty tight. And what I like about that is I think it gets to guys like Roy Thomas, Cockrum, those guys who really had a huge impact on X-Men and they don't get talked about as much as X-Men history. Like Mm -hmm. Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas used A... And one of the most important X-Men runs of the 60s, then he's the dude who actually said, hey, let's bring the X-Men back. He's also the guy that said, hey, let's make Wolverine. <laughs> and yet he doesn't really get talked about as much in the histories of the book.
0: Yeah, I think that some of that is because you had that, that one creative voice for so long, Chris Claremont, who kind of set up so many definitive Elements of the x men that some of these other guys, these lesser known creators, don't get their due, what did you think about oh, the, totally
1: totally yeah. yeah,
0: what did you think about the joe Kelly Stephen Siegel run? I always thought that was kind of an under- underappreciated time frame for the x men where if you read it, there were some of those classic characters, but then they also worked in those newer characters like Reyes
1: like Maggot. Uh, and <laughs> 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 i I liked I definitely liked it when it happened they I think they were really that's the point when stuff really got editorially controlled up until that point. It seemed like because Labdell had been there for like five years at mm-hmm. that point, and so he had a, a decent amount of freedom. it seemed mm-hmm. but towards the end of his run and then towards all through Kelly and Siegel's run, it was more and more of editorial saying, yeah we want you to do this story, not mm-hmm. that story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, because it didn't last long.
1: And so that's and while It's like he, Kevin Segal, like, well, forget this. You know, if you're telling us, you're, you're, you're dropping our stories, every other issue, you're telling us we have to do something different, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. So that was really the start, I think, of where editorial was really the driving force of the book. And I think you see that a lot, even even um, up until now, where a lot of these decisions seem to be editorial driven and less what the guys who are doing the book come up with. Grant Morrison might have been one of the last guys where it's like, okay, Grant Morrison, what do you want to do?
0: I, I love Morrison's run. And it seems like they took Clorox, Bleach, and everything else, Dow, whatever, to erase all traces of that you know status quo changing run that he did and i thought his was the one where it just totally shook up all the expectations of what an x-men book should be about he made mutants that weren't pretty and disgusting Is you know they always make this big deal about complaining oh it's so rough being a mutant but they all look like supermodels he (laughs) made them look like oh gosh you guys are hideous you should stay hidden in all this what do you think what what do you think about that Morrison run and, and what that meant short term, long term for the X Men? Because you see some of those elements, I guess, kind of carried over to the movies. But what do you think about the Morrison run?
1: I mean, I think the Morrison, I think the Morrison run's amazing. One one sort of interesting thing about the Morrison run that when I, I, you always come back to how important the Byrne, Claremont, Terry Austin run is. Right. And what's funny is that. Even as great and as innovative and as different as we said about Morrison, how much he changed the book, when you look back at it, he was basically doing an homage to the Burn Claremont stuff. Mm-hmm. He went through he went through pretty much all the beats they did. He, mm-hmm. They did a Shire story. He did a Shire story. They did a Sentinels thing. He, he did a Sentinel thing. They did a time travel. He did a time travel. Mm-hmm. And so on. They did a the, the Phoenix thing. He did a Phoenix thing. So he, it's so funny that even in the middle of his thing, which was definitely changing things dramatically, it still looked back and appreciated that Burn Claremont because you can't beat that Burn Claremont mm-hmm. for just awesome X-Men. Right. And I think as
0: a longtime X-Men fan, I'm watching what Marvel Studios has done with their Avengers universe. And see how they took characters like Iron Man and Thor and Captain America and didn't do these wholesale changes to their origins, just modernize them for a modern audience. And I'm always thinking, geez, if they had just taken the Byrne, Claremont, Austin stuff, how great would the X-Men movies be? continue to be? And would people be excited for Marvel Studios to get the X-Men back in the fold if that were the case? What do you think on that?
1: I think it's I think it's totally true. It's, it's a matter of I mean, listen. Is there something to be said for you can't have Wolverine in a, in a yellow spandex costume? Probably. But beyond that, that whole idea where you yes, the Marvel Studios seem to sort of look at their properties and how can we adapt this comic book? Well, every almost everyone else looks at it as. What can we change about this?
0: What What are all the elements that people love about this, and how many of them can we take away before people get mad?
1: Right. How much? How much? How much can we put our own stamp on? You know, Fantastic Four is good at all, but it's not really look like our thing. Let's make it look like what we want.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So, and you have a little bit of everything. It's not just. Uh, comic books it's not just tv but you also break down action figures and movies of those movies which one do you think best sums up or captures the feel of a classic x-men comic
1: i guess the close i guess the prequels probably get closer because the prequels it it seems that they slightly are starting to more appreciate the actual material
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so like i guess i would say days of future past that is probably the closest we come in an X-Men movie to really capturing the feel of an X-Men storyline. Yeah. I mean, plus Deadpool, obviously Deadpool right. definitely does Deadpool.
0: Yeah. I always, I always think like Deadpool is just a separate little movie universe that they haven't managed to ruin yet. So I'm just not going to mention <laughs> Deadpool with them, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to Deadpool too. And you have a shout out and a story about Deadpool and his origins. Do you want to go into that?
1: Oh sure. What about uh, Evil Spider Man?
0: Evil Spider Man. And I always thought that when I was when I first started reading him, I guess back in New Mutants, and like, man, he's really like a bad guy version of Spider Man. So talk a little bit, bit about that.
1: Sure, Liefeld talked about what, what a funny thing about is that Liefeld when he broke in, he was so young compared to some of these other guys. Where so he and Tom McFarland, who also was a young guy as well but he was still probably about six years older than Liefeld. So they really fell into sort of like a big brother, little brother role, where they would just bust on each other all the time. And so one thing that McFarlane kept on telling him is, "Ah, oh, you know, Rob, you got to draw, look at all those characters in New Mutants. You're drawing like 12 characters an issue, all those faces. Look at me, I, just, I have to draw Spider-Man, no face, just a mask. <laughs> so much easier. So was like, okay, Guess what? I'm going to come up with my own version of Spider-Man, only an evil Spider-Man. And I won't have to do the mask either. And so, voila, Deadpool. And of course, obviously, the character became so big right away right away that I, um, the editors of the book are saying, wow, this guy is great. So they liked Deadpool so much that even though X-Force number one had pretty much already been written, they said, you got to get Deadpool into this book. And there was no place for him. So instead, they just threw on one of those Cable files at the end of the book where it's just like a, you know, a a database about Deadpool. And then Deadpool was boom, right on the cover of number two.
0: Yep. (laughs) The the merc with the mouth.
1: The merc with
0: the mouth. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Now, what, what are some of those X-Men spinoff books that you feel haven't gotten enough due or you wish more people appreciated? You know, we've always got the main X-Men book, but what are some of those spinoff titles that really clicked for you that, didn't necessarily become big hits
1: well it's hard to say uh it's hard to give some of these guys uh n- not too much when they've i mean even even let's say like peter david's x factor m- might not be as famous it still lasted his second revival lasted like 10 years practically <laughs> so it was just sort of chugging along in the background when uh yeah, his last it lasted, it lasted almost like six years. His his second revival, mm-hmm. but the first revival, that one really that talk about talk about wasted potential. When that launched, he basically got all the characters that no one, that they didn't want for the X Men book, mm-hmm. all the leftovers, and he turned them into this actually cool, funny, relatable team. But the problem with the X Men back then was that crossovers were the king. They were mm-hmm. selling so many copies during these crossovers. That it's like, sorry, Peter David, you can't do your relatable, down-to-earth story. We need you to tie in with the big crossovers. So every issue is like, oh hey, uh, I, I know you wanted to tell that one really like personal story. Next issue, this issue is a crossover. <laughs> and then later, okay, sorry, 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 but we'll give you how about we'll give you a double issue to do your story, okay? Because we need this issue for a crossover too. And finally, he was like, oh, by the way, remember that double issue we promised you? That's going to be a crossover, too. Sorry. <laughs> and so he's like, forget it. I'm out of here. Yeah. I'm out of here. And so that we, I think we really missed out on that. That would have been a cool – Not, to, I mean, J- J.N. Demodis, he came in, and he actually did a, he did a decent run. But mm. once Peter David left, that book really didn't have a direction.
0: Yeah. And uh... – what was that, X-Factor 77, the one where they're sitting down with Doc Samson? Is that the issue? I think
1: like 87, yeah. 87.
3: 87.
0: That is one of my favorite comics ever just because it, it made sense of so many of the characters and broke them down in a way that I don't think anyone had bothered to explore. And I just thought it was such a cool read. And there was no action, but it was like, wow, what a cool way to look at these different characters.
1: What That Quicksilver, that Quicksilver bit yes. is like the thing- same <laughs> – that is like the bit for Quicksilver. Yeah. And it everyone, just, 20 years later, everyone, that's the bit. If you want to describe what Quicksilver's mm-hmm. deal is, just tell them, read that one issue, and you'll yeah. know what Quicksilver's deal is.
0: And it makes so much sense. It's like, yeah, I could understand being more like him than Barry Allen because, gosh, everything moves so slow. So, yeah, definitely. Now, I know most people aren't going to go Magneto's the best X-Men villain. Who do you think is number two or number three on the X-Men villain list?
1: Yeah, it's weird. Magneto, so, Magneto takes up so much of like space yes. in the X-Men universe mm-hmm. where it's so hard. to It's so hard. It's like the, the drop off from him to everyone else is so significant. <laughs> because you look at Apocalypse, right? Apocalypse is a great villain and all, but his X-Men stories are surprisingly minimal. Mm-hmm. Like times when the X-Men have actually fought Apocalypse. And outside of say age of apocalypse, yep. it's really, it's really not that significant. Mm-hmm. So then you guys, you start looking at guys like what, Mr. Sinister. I mean, it, it, it's kind of bare bones. Right. Oddly enough, for such a famous, for such a popular book, their villains, they got cool villains, right. but the ones that don't rise to the level of like top five villains. I
0: mm-hmm. mean, I guess
1: you got to go Mr. Sinister and the Marauders. Those guys are pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I would think they just by virtue of actually being villains that managed to accomplish something. But yeah, I think Juggernaut's pretty good just because he is what he is, just a brute who fights him. and that's like the dynamic with him and Black Tom. But yeah, their their villains have really been underwhelming. It is funny when you when you think back, like, man, what was that classic story with a good bad guy, and it's kind of drawing a blank on it on the uh also
1: whenever they have cool when they have cool older villains also they're like yeah this guy's so cool he's gonna be a hero now okay
0: right yeah like saber it's like i still can't get over the sight of seeing saber hanging with the x-men it's like this is wrong mystique you know yeah.
1: even juggernaut yeah how many times has juggernaut joined the x-men teams over the years where <laughs>
0: yeah, what are you guys doing now as an x-men fan what do you think has been the point where they've kind of Gone too far past the point of, I mean, because you know, right now everything is focused on the movies and on the comic book front. You definitely see that influence, and Marvel is pushing one hundred and twenty percent on the Avengers, the movie universe. Now Black Panther's got the spotlight; it's going to shift over to, to Avengers with Infinity War. But the X-Men, I feel like they haven't quite managed to maintain that same level of consistency, even though they fought the Avengers and A versus X. What's been that cliff that the X-Men haven't weren't quite able to get past and are stumbling to try to get out of now?
1: Well, the, the big thing that really, I think, hit them, at, at the time, I don't think they thought that this was going to be that big of a deal. I mean, I th- I, I, you knew that they thought it was going to be a big deal, but they thought it wasn't going to do what it happened to it, which was when they had the decimation back around Oh, what uh, House of them, which is Oh, six, let's say mm-hmm. when they cut the mutant population from like 2 million down to a thousand or so. Right. Um, mm-hmm. then that they obviously the idea was they thought this wouldn't get mutants back to being, you know, hunted and feared. There's not as many of them out there. It'll get us back to the, the, the basics of when the X-Men seemed like they had a hide and stuff like that. However, Instead, what it did was it got them just nichier and nichier as every other writer took over the book. And all of them, none of them, what well, they did, it all made sense one at a time. But each guy just took over the book and made it even slightly nichier. One guy goes from they're in the mansion and we're being guarded by fentanyl all the time. Then they moved to San Francisco. Then they moved onto an island off the coast of San Francisco.
2: <laughs> in
1: the in the context of the stories at the time, it all made sense. But looking back at it, if you're trying to give a, a quick talk, talk on the X Men and go, "Oh yeah, the X Men," they all live together on a mutant utopia. That's not relatable, right? <laughs> and heck, they were going to go even further after Human versus X Men, where for a while there, the, the mutants were going to leave Earth. I mean, how in the world is that? You're like, it's not good. So, and then, no.
0: you're right. They did keep splintering things down, and then that Utopia group faced with schism, and then Wolverine and Cyclops are fighting each other for the 80th time, and which I just hated.
1: What, what, what I mean, at least the Wolverine versus X-Men, at least they got him back to the school. That book was fun. Jason Aaron does a great job with pretty much everything he does. So yeah. that, that worked. Right. But it was still getting kind of splintered down there. But um, I think recently the the X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold, they're trying, X-Men Gold especially, is trying to sort of evoke that old-school X-Men deal. And I think whatever happens to the next, they haven't made the announcements yet on what the next level of X-Men is going to be. Whatever it comes out, my guess is that it'll try to feel a bit like Early '90s X-Men, because that's where all the fe- like Kelly Thompson just did that Rogue Gambit miniseries. That really was all about, hey everybody, remember how cool they were in the early '90s? They can still be cool. <laughs>
0: what What do you think it was with the '90s that resonated so much with fans? Was it just the cartoon and the superstar artists?
1: I think it was yeah, that, that's. I think that, that's the combo right there. The superstar artist got. The, the book's so, they were getting so pumped up and dynamic and uh, the, their sales were going up every other issue and they were just getting to the fans where it felt like every issue had to be, you gotta grab this one because this guy's gonna try to outdo that one that, his next month, you know? Mm-hmm. They're competing. X-Force, X-Force number one sells 6 million copies. Oh yeah, well X-Men number <laughs> one is gonna sell 8
0: million copies. Uh-huh.
1: And then you get, so then you have that big, that that, that dynamic going on and then you have that cartoon that, Picks up right at the right point mm-hmm. when all this is going on, and so it captures that feel. And then suddenly, obviously, everyone loved that, that cartoon.
0: Yeah, and those video games that they came out with—the uh, arcade video game was, I guess, right before that. But I think a lot of people still think back to that as one of the classic arcade games.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, guys, you could play like what if you had two? If you had two arcade, you could do like eight players at once. Right. <laughs>
0: And can't beat that. Anytime you can all get together to yeah. play some video games, and and they've had some pretty fun video games too with the home ones with the X Men Legends. I always thought those were fun to play through, and even just their they writing. did. They,
1: they, yeah, they thought, remember, think about it. if you just want to, if you want to capture. I, I, that's right. I think I I, I I don't know if I wrote this in the book or if I wrote it somewhere. <laughs> the idea is the perfect way to capture how things are in the like zeitgeist is mm-hmm. see what video games they get. Yeah. If they're not getting any video games, that's not a good sign. <laughs> and the X-Men video game-wise has been, ugh, you know.
0: Yeah, they, they've struggled on that in as of league, But I feel like so much of the X-Men have kind of been like the, the red-headed stepchild since the Avengers became popular. Wow. Totally, totally, go. totally. <laughs>
1: it's,
0: it's 2018. They're not even,
1: they're not even in the... They're not even in the Marble like Lego things anymore. I mean, yeah, come on. Right.
0: In the fighting games they are just like, yeah. No, no. And it was it was hilarious. I read this article and they were like, yeah, well, we think the characters that we replace Wolverine and Storm and Cyclops with are, will carry on just as fine. And I was like, wow. <laughs> man, you guys are really trying that one. Okay. <laughs> but we it's, don't need
1: Wolverine. we got Squirrel Girl. Come
0: right. Who needs <laughs> Wolverine and his claws act? Nobody even remembers that anymore. <laughs> what a... We did you, And looking back, all these different runs of X-Men, what creator really stood out to you or what creative team stood out to you outside of the Byrne, Claremont, uh, Dream Team, Golden Age era? Which one best sums up what the X-Men were if you take out all those classic stories they put together?
1: Well, if you we take out Claremont, that's like 17 years missing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, maybe, all right, let's make it fair. I'll do, let's take out Claremont and, and Byrne, so any of his other collaborators.
1: Oh, okay. So, so um, I guess, well, it's so funny what I write in the book. Is It's interesting is that X-Men didn't become Marvel's number one book until after Byrne left, after Cochran left for his second time. Right. It wasn't until Paul Smith came in that the X-Men actually became the number one selling book in Marvel. which was, I thought which that was, was crazy. Bizarre.
0: Yeah, because I I just assumed the moment uh, Byrne and Claremont started working, they, they were going neck and neck with Teen Titans over at DC for a top comic, and that wasn't... That,
1: Teen Titans was do- destroying for years. Teen Titans was like the highest selling book for a long time there.
0: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: Well, the funny thing about that is a lot of times is there's this weird phenomenon where... I mean, you see it a lot of times in sales, too, where, say, Pokemon, whatever. Mm-hmm. The biggest year for Pokemon merchandise is, like, three years after it became big because mm-hmm. that's, when, that's when the slow people pick up on it. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of times for big books, it takes a while for people to start picking up because they hear about the, the other run, and so the sales go up even though that runs over. Like Tom McFarlane did Incredible Hulk and the book was amazing, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until he was off the book that people, the sales started really rising based on all people hearing about how awesome Tom McFarlane's run was.
0: (laughs) That's funny how that plays out. And then it was interesting reading about the different similarities with the the X-Men and the Legion and how uh, Chim Shooter came up with Feral Lad and and wanted to make him black, which I'd never heard before, and killed him off just to spite the editor. Yeah, you're not going to let
1: him make him black. I'll do this then. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that that was really interesting, and and how that played into a role with Thunderbird's death. And I always loved his costume, so I thought it was funny that the initial setup was a was just as a, a hey you guys passed or you fail making x-men and then just evolving to well everybody gets
1: your some- dad yep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what
0: what what do you think best sums up x-men like you've gone through these 101 chapters or 100 chapters what do you think for for somebody who's never heard of them a kid who's was born in 2008 and the only cool superheroes he's ever known are the ones he's seen on the big screen and and she's thinking ah, the only cool superheroes are Cap, Iron Man Black Panther etc what makes X-Men cool and and how does and just what makes X-Men cool
1: well I think what's cool about the description for the X-Men is that we have for a while there I think I even opened my book about this point which was for a while there um, in the late 70s Marvel came up with this thing where every issue would be, would open up with a little description of the characters. And then it would be, blah, 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 blah. And then Stan Lee presents the uncanny X-Men or whatever. <laughs> and so what's cool about that is that setup really encapsulates the X-Men so darn well. Let's see. Here it is. Children of the Atom. Students of Exa- Charles Xavier. Mutant feared and hated by the world they have sworn to protect they are the strangest heroes of all stanley presents the x-men i mean come on hated and feared yet they still have to protect people they're bizarre come on that's just that's a cool concept strange heroes who are hated and feared by the world and yet they have to protect them because they're good guys that's a cool concept
0: yeah it is and, that, and I guess that's why, for those of us who who read it, and for so long who've, who've enjoyed the video games, the action figures, uh, why they still have such a strong hold on us. And what makes you an X Men fan? Just because of of that outcast nature of them, or or is there any other factors to it?
1: Well, it's so funny is that uh, I think I, my introduction mentions this, where you're taking the X Men so, so many times. Depends on when you happen to get into them. Mm-hmm. And when, by the time I got into them, again like earlier, like around 91, they were already like the most popular <laughs> books out there. So it's not even like outcast anymore because they were the stars already.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So by that point, it was pretty much just the fact they had all these really good um, writers and artists working on the books. That Claremont Jim Lee run, is amazing. Yeah. That, they they. Claremont had been doing a fine job up until that point, of course. Mm-hmm. But Jim Lee really revitalized him. It's yeah. been a while since he had a, a artist who came in and really pushed him. Because Silvestri, great artist, but Silvestri, for whatever reason, didn't seem to really as vibe with Claremont on the plotting stages. Mm-hmm. It was really Jim Lee who came in and said, No, I want to do blank. I want to do you know blank. I want to do X, Y, and Z. And Claremont's like, Okay, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll change things around and fit what you want to do. And it really worked.
0: Yeah, yeah. I always think that. Of fair. course,
1: then it went too far, and then it was like, sorry, Claremont you're out of here. We're only going to do what Jim Lee
0: wants. <laughs> oh, and Jim's leaving to go go form Wildcats And then right.
1: Jim Lee's doing right, right. We we destroyed right. our entire line to fit Jim Lee, and oh, Jim Lee's going.
0: <laughs> so I was always leery when when Jim Lee took over at, at uh, DC. It was like, uh, how long is this lasting? But that actually worked out for the best. So, Brian, yeah. is there anything else that you'd like to mention? Because I, I could talk to you about X-Men for hours and I be aware of your time. So is there anything else you'd like to or one last thing you'd like to say for everybody listening?
1: Um, I, I guess, Gerald, you should buy the book. It's a real, it's a real fun read.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: it is. And not only that, but uh, Kate, uh, Kate Willard, she said this uh, on Twitter I, I like, which is, if you read this book and you just don't read the last chapter you can never die. <laughs> Hard to knock that, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for your time. What's your next book that you're working on?
1: Uh, who knows? Uh, it, it, pretty much. I'm on CBR every day. So people want to check out my writing. I'm I'm there on CBR every darn day. So there's something cool about comics. Right. Today was, uh, today was about action comics. Number one. And, uh, robot just wonder woman's many robot doubles so always something <laughs> interesting
0: very good brian thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it thank you all right you have a good one okay man. Thanks. Bye. once again thanks a lot brian cronin 100 things x-men fans should know and do before they die have a link on the site so you can check it out. It's a fun read and well worth it if you think you know everything about the X-Men, but it turns out you really do not. Now we're going to move on to our Avengers Infinity War discussion and we break down the proper viewing order, how much we think the movie's going to make, and our spoiler-free review. Avengers comes out thursday night for people who got those uh, seven o'clock midnight tickets it is poised to be a major tremendous blockbuster assault on the record books it's already being predicted to rake in somewhere between 225 million 240 million for its opening domestic weekend because we had so much fun last time i decided why not let's Let's play box office prognosticators again, and I'm gonna save the winner last time for last. So, Gunnar, what do you think Infinity War is gonna bring in at the box office this weekend? Just on the domestic. Hey, level. For the
1: record, that was for the record, I was second to last. All right, I almost got it, but that's fine. Uh, Two sixty to three. Okay. I ain't playing around. It's not going to play around. I mean,
0: that's a a huge range, man. Let's try to narrow it down a little bit.
1: Okay. 280 to 3. Is that better?
0: All right, that's better. Jace, what you got?
2: Okay. I think because this will probably have a quote-unquote larger audience, I'd say 250. And I think that's kinda of ridiculous for a movie, but I think it could do it.
0: Alright. Uh Chief, how about you? What did what did uh, Black Panther bring in this first week? Well, I'm glad you asked. Black Panther on its opening weekend, if I'm pulling this up fast enough. So I can tell you. Uh uh hmm. Yeah, of course. It's gonna take longer than I wanted. Hold on. Uh, Black Panther brought in a lot of money. Let's see here. <laughs> As I'm stalling, trying to pull it up. You know, the yeah, boom, okay, phones are good boom. on one end, and then you go. It's like ah, come on. All right, so Black Panther on its opening weekend brought in two hundred and two million, and that was in four thousand twenty theaters.
3: So two hundred and two million Black Panther brought in. I will say, this brings in. A hundred and ninety three million.
0: Interesting. Alright. So you're saying it's gonna fall short of Age of Ultrons opening. Okay. Uh let's see. I'm gonna go with two hundred and twenty seven million because it's been selling better than Black Panther with through Fandango at a faster and higher rate. And yeah, I just think it's going to make a little bit more. I'm not necessarily banking on it making more in the long run as Black Panther, but I think this opening weekend, I think it's going to beat that out. Javon, what you got,
3: man? I'm going to go with half a Billy, close to half a Billy. If not at 500, I'm going to say between 450 and five, and I'm going to tell you why. Because isn't this a global opening? It's not just okay at premieres in nah, nah, the just, just
0: domestic, just domestic.
3: Just yeah, domestic numbers. Yeah, okay, yeah. just domestic numbers. Then I'm gonna go uh three hundred. Three hundred is reasonable. Because they you know what they've been doing, if you watched any of the promos that have been coming on television, guess who's been featured a ton in these promos? Black Panther. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
3: So yeah, right in the know. hills. Of, Every promo. So riding the heels of that, hey, I've seen promos where only Chadwick Bozeman was doing the narration, right? They only mm-hmm. started with his speech. So with that said, they're going to ride the heels of the popularity of Black Panther. And that's not just going to appeal to black audiences. That's going to appeal to anybody who was interested, saw Black Panther, is still going to see Black Panther. And it feel like i got to I got to go see both of these movies. Because for what it's worth, both of them, uh, Black Panther is still playing in some theaters. Right.
0: No, it's still but playing. playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's playing in a bunch, actually. I think and Marvel it bunch, did that right? on purpose so they could have, you know, hey, I'm going to go see Black Panther, and then I'm going to go walk into this next screen and see Avengers.
3: Exactly. So it's it's gonna be a money making weekend for Disney and the Marvel franchise. They they're gonna kill it. So with that said, more power. But I'm I'm definitely seeing between domestic opening. I'm seeing about three hundred. I'm gonna forget two fifty. Three hundred. That's the number. All right. I'm sticking to it.
0: Jason, and I saw it on Tuesday. Not gonna spoil anything. I highly advise you guys to avoid anyone when they start talking about the movie so i mean like when they if they're gonna start talking about oh did you believe i can't believe this happened just just walk away turn off their facebook feed stay off twitter because they have a lot of stuff that's worth seeing but we we broke down our favorite marvel films last week and if i had waited a week this would have been on my list i have updated my Top 19 or top 19, the 19 Marvel Studio films. And I made some major adjustments, like I said, after our show last week. But this one, um, you know, growing, growing up, I would read a lot of these Marvel movies or Marvel comics and it was a big deal when all the heroes got together and they had the crossovers, they got to see Mr. Fantastic hanging with Captain America, Spider-Man and Thing talking to Wolverine. I mean, it was cool watching that and them going after and fighting a bunch of bad guys or in the case of Infinity Gauntlet, Thanos. This movie is, it blows everything else away in terms of comic book action and what's possible with this genre. On the big screen. And I was just blown away. I kept nudging Jace like, I can't believe they did that. Look at that. That's so cool. I mean, the special effects are great. But the character development is really surprising. It's it's kind of like they took the Russo brothers, the guys who directed Civil War and uh, Winter Soldier. They're the ones directing this. And mm-hmm. it was like they paid so close attention to what came between Civil War and Infinity War. So it's like they have the the tone, they, they treat Thor much more like uh, Thor Ragnarok Thor than say Dark World or Avengers Age of Ultron Thor. Uh, Black Panther. I mean, it's it like I use Thor as my quick example, but it just felt like the tone of Thor in this was the Thor Ragnarok version. When they went to Black Panther, it felt like we shifted to uh, the next chapter of Black Panther. When they moved over to Guardians of the Galaxy, this was, oh man, this now we're getting to a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It didn't feel like they dumped everybody into one movie and just hoped to... It It, it felt like they had a real thoughtful approach to it, so... Everything made sense. And it was like, yeah, this is exactly how the Guardians would fit into this. And this is how Doctor Strange would interact with these guys. It felt like, oh, wow, you guys really respected everything that came before you and incorporated it into your movie.
3: Uh, That's really cool to me, because that's what I was worried about, because for what it's worth, you got a lot of heroes vying for screen time with this movie, right? Hmm. To hear you say that, that's what you want out of out of any movie like this, uh, this kind of grand scale, or any movie where you're cross genre, you're doing something like this. You want them to pay special credence to the fact that each of these people have their own stories to tell. Yeah. And you're not just throwing them in a movie just for the sake of throwing them into the movies, so right? To, 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 to sell tickets. And I'm glad to hear you say that. So that incentivizes me even more to go see
0: it. Yeah. And the, the surprising thing to me, I'll get you in check, sec, Jason. The surprising thing was they did crazy character development. The movie's uh, two, just like a little over two and a half hours, but it never feels long. And it feels like, wow, you're spending so much time on this character. I feel like I know so much more of them from infinity war than I have from three other movies they've been in uh vision and scarlet witch in particular i was like wow okay this not that they were bad in the other films but i just felt like hey this is vision and scarlet witch from the comic books from the avengers and okay. yeah like dr strange is like man he is he is exactly how dr strange would be interacting with all of these guys and spider-man did not feel like The Spider-Man who kind of tagged along and was part of Team Iron Man in Civil War. It felt like the standalone hero who we saw in Spider-Man Homecoming, who just so happened to know Iron Man already, but was still his fully individual hero who wasn't like, hey, Tony, I'm with you, right? It was just they were doing their own thing. And, And everybody got time. If you have a favorite character in the Marvel Studios universe, they got at least one moment, and in most cases, they got more than one. Jace, what do you think about it?
2: Okay, I'm gonna go with the. As uh, we're gonna continue our spoilerless free discussion for probably about two weeks. No, nah, they're all gonna see it. This if week. you saw, well, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll try I'm and it. we'll let's we'll try this. But if you saw and like anybody you liked in the Marvel Cinematic Universe this movie continues their story so it's not like because i know like as you said on uh, justice league the comic book on lyle's movie the justice league comics seem to forget where a character was in their own co- individual comic book this movie you remember like whatever happened to the guardian blast is what happened like they they tell you like that's what that's what happened like what happened in thor they make sure you know what happened in thor this is the next thing it's like it literally is like the next thing that you saw is what's gonna is, is what it is it's not like some weird time gap or like they didn't pay any any like a lip service to what happened in their movie it's like oh oh what happened after that one? Oh yes yeah, right there i i feel like i'm jumping in right where these guys are oh,
0: let me interrupt um, you real fast at, at, Let me interrupt you because there is a time gap and if you're watching all of these in super marathon, uh, fashion, uh, basically everything that that plays out goes on up till Black Panther and Black Panther marks the two years in the cinematic universe timeframe. I think if you put out a chronological list of how these movies go you're gonna watch black panther right after civil war and then you're gonna watch you probably you probably watch black panther and then after civil war and then watch homecoming then watch guardians and then watch thor ragnarok because ragnarok is the one that definitely is this that's the one film that leads directly into infinity war mm-hmm. and there's a two year gap where we don't know what's going on with these characters and civil and black panther is kind of like right after what happens in civil war so you need to watch that homecomings right there in that area too so it's like a cutoff and then guardians of the galaxy volume two and ragnarok and then they feed you right into what's going on with infinity war
2: yeah, like, Ragnarok is the direct, like, the direct, uh prequel to this. But I, I think, like, I think Black Panther is probably not that long after, I mean, prior oh, to this two movie. Years. It's
0: supposed to be two years. Okay. okay
2: well, no, I mean, well, I mean, I don't I'm think, confused. like, I'm,
1: confused. Uh, I'm totally confused. All
2: right.
0: What's your question, Gunner?
1: So you're saying, wait, Guardians, and then there's a two-year gap, and then
3: Civil War happened? Or no, no, no,
0: no. A- so... So you're watching them kind of exactly how they've been released up until Civil War. And with Civil War, if you're going to watch them in in the way that the story unfolds, you're going to watch Black Panther next. And then you can watch Homecoming or you can watch Homecoming either way with those two because they're occurring at the same time. When T'Challa is dealing with Killmonger, Spider-Man is dealing with Vulture. So you can watch those in whatever order you want to because they both directly after civil war so then you're going to watch volume two of guardians of the galaxy because it's disconnected from everything else but what goes on in guardians volume two feeds into infinity war and then during that time so after Homecoming or Black Panther, whichever way you watch it, there is a two year span of time. Because the Guardians exist outside ah. of them. Whenever that happens is whenever. So they could be one year that one year after Civil War. But Thor Ragnarok is at that one year twelve month period. Because Thor is way away from everything that's going on with the Avengers. Hulk yeah. is way away from them, too. And what happens at the end of Ragnarok directly leads to... Uh, what's his face? Into uh,
2: Infinity, Infinity War. War.
0: And it's kind of like... Did y'all see that... Cheese uh, the Clone Wars where... Um, original the Clone Wars cartoon? Yeah, the original one. Mm-hmm. Where... It ends I didn't, I didn't with mean, got it. yeah, so it's just you watch that cartoon where there where Grievous takes Palpatine. Right. Yeah, it's just like that. So that's how you'd watch okay. it. Okay. you have anything else to add on it? No,
2: honestly, uh, as, as I'm gonna say, uh, I I I don't remember too much of the source material, but I think if you've watched all the Marvel Cinematic Universe you're going to enjoy this movie. I mean, like, if you, especially as we say, people love Marvel versus DC, I think if you've enjoyed Marvel movies, you're going to enjoy this movie.